Welcome to another podcast episode of Kingdom and You. We're so glad to have you here today. This is a really special episode because this is the testimony of Jesus Christ in my marriage. My wife and I, Casey, how he saved our marriage, how he redeemed our marriage. It's given from my very good friend, Pastor Dozer's Church in Great Bend, Kansas. I hope you enjoy it. I hope that God uses it to restore areas in your life that need to be restored by the Holy Spirit. I hope it blesses you. And if you're married, I hope it blesses your marriage. Our special guest today have become very dear friends to Dottie and I, though we met in person, Casey, last time, for, last night for the very first time. And though our only encounter with Matt was a very face-to-face encounter, was a very brief encounter right there, right there. But for the last five years, we have grown to love these people our connection with them was interesting and unique and the journey that we have traveled together um, just made me know back in the latter part of of last year November October November of last year God began to stir in my heart about preaching a series on redemption to begin 2020 Uh, How many of you are thankful for God's redemptive power in your life and his redemptive grace? And as I began to pray about that, I knew that one of the messages that I wanted to convey was God's power of redemption in marriage. See, I believe that God can take a mess and turn it into a miracle. I really do. I have faith in God to do that. And, uh, and I immediately felt prompted of the Lord uh, to invite uh, Matt and Casey to come and share their story. And I called them, and they so graciously agreed to join us for today and uh, share the, the story of God's redemptive power in their marriage. But uh, would you give a great big, great bend welcome for Matt and Casey Couch. Thank you, Ah, love you. <laughs> love all you guys. All right. I'm going to be looking at my phone here because that's where I got my Bible and my notes. So I'm not surfing the internet. But, uh, uh, of course, I just lost them. Isn't that great? Here it is. See, God is good. <laughs> he so, redeemed your notes. He redeemed it. He's always doing that, isn't he? Mm-hmm. So I would be remiss if I didn't point out uh, the beauty of this moment. Uh, three of the most important families in my life and in our lives are here today. And that would, of course, be uh, the Dozers. You know, Dwight and Dottie Dozer are amazing people in our life. They've spoken into us. We're here because of them today. And of course, uh, Pete and Katie Cabrera, also amazing people in our lives that have spoken into us. We're here because of them today. And then last but not least, my parents. You know, uh, God has really brought this moment as a milestone in our lives. 
and I didn't know it till yesterday, but I reached out to Pastor Dozer on her email prayer line, February 16th, 2015. It's February 16th, 2020 today. I had no idea. That that, and we couldn't have arranged it if we tried. Yeah. Uh, but let's pray real quick. Uh, let's honor God as we've honored our, our brothers and sisters. So, Father, I just thank you so much that you have given us this opportunity to honor you, to boast of you. Your victory will be on display today. It is you who wins the victory. It is you who has won the victory. It is you who works the victory out through our lives, in us, through us, to others. Let us be a vessel to communicate your power and your grace and your mercy to every individual here. In Jesus' mighty, precious, spectacular name, amen. 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 So I'm going to move really fast. Dad, if you could raise your hand when i got about 10 to 5 minutes left. It takes me that long to land. Uh, I'm going to move really fast. Uh, So if you're taking notes, just jot down the scriptures. But we're going to start out in Genesis 2.21. That's going to be 2.21 through 25. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh inside thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her unto man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and the wife, and were not ashamed. Hopefully you're not going to be ashamed today because I'm going to use that word bare and naked a lot. (laughs) So this is the kind of bare and naked that we feel before God when we're bare before him. When we're bare before our wives, this is the kind of bear that Casey and I are willing to get before you right now that we might share with you who our God is. And it's interesting because that word ashamed, when we look back at the Hebrew, can mean confused. So they were unconfused. They were not confused about their bareness before God. So we're just going to start on our story now, and I'm going to keep on that track. But as I said, my, or as Pastor said, my mom and dad were missionaries to Spain, and I grew up on the mission field. And we came back. My dad's actually preached in this church before, uh, spoken to the youth. And when we came back in the uh, summer of 1982 to raise funds to go back to, uh, to Spain, I went to visit my grandparents in Orange County, L.A. And my grandmother had a yellow bike, and I wanted to ride that yellow bike so bad. And I asked my grandma, can I ride that yellow bike? Can I ride the yellow bike? And she said, no, Matt, it's too big for you. I was about seven and a half years old at the time, and it was an adult's bike, and I was small. I had my mom's jeans. And uh, I wasn't actually wearing her jeans. I had her DNA. (laughs) But uh, so I stole the yellow bike. I just took it out for a ride. Of course, my grandmother knew what I was doing because I kept bringing it back all banged up because I couldn't ride it. She was right. But anyway, there was uh, several kids that lived across the street in the same condo complex where my parents lived. And I used to play tag with them, and I used to run around and play hide and seek with them. And I got on this yellow bike one morning and I rode it out. And there was a little park in the middle of the condominium uh, complex with a picnic table. And I saw all my friends, there was about six to eight of them, maybe even 10. They were all like cousins and brothers. I don't know their exact relation to each other, but they were always hanging out together. And they were laughing and giggling. And I was this naked and unashamed. 
I was enjoying my life, I was free, I was on a bike, I was doing whatever I wanted, and I was happy. And so I pedaled up to this table where I saw my friends laughing and giggling, and I said, hey, it looks like they're having fun. I want to be a part of what they're doing. And I pedaled up to that table, and I dumped my bike on the ground, and I ran up to him, and I said, hey guys, what are you doing? And as soon as I looked at that table, I saw the first pornographic magazine I'd ever seen in my life. I'd never seen anything like it before. I didn't even know what it was at the beginning. I'm going to do my best not to cry during this, okay, guys? So, um, but, uh, but, yeah, I mean, I was instantly addicted to pornography at that time. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. And, and what proceeded was what I can only say was what I realized later when I was 33 years old was sexual abuse. Uh, it took me that long to realize it because I didn't realize it until I had a son that was my age at the time that I was abused. Um, and since that time, I struggled with addiction to pornography and worse, and we'll get into that. Um, but that's where I came to a point of being naked and ashamed. So I want to get into Casey's story, too. Um, starting with my story, um, the part where the, the innocence for me was lost was when my parents were divorced. And, um, like, they never fought in front of me. I had no clue that they were even um, considering that. And one day my dad was just gone. And um, it's, it's interesting because I'm a teacher now, and I have kids in my class who have this in their background, and I know that God uses that in their lives. Um, but I found myself not wanting to eat, not wanting to come out of my bedroom. Um, I don't know why I thought maybe like if I was a, the big enough stinker, my mom would call him back. I don't know. Um, but through that pain and through that um, time in my life, looking back now, it was because, you know, my father had been unfaithful and my mom, you know, wasn't having it anymore after years of trying to make it work. Um, and that's just really like the hardest thing for me to to have this in our story that ties exactly back to my first pain, like to my first part where um, I felt fearful and I lost my security in, in every sense of the way. Yeah. And we were talking about it last night and you said that you, you felt unsafe. Yeah. Right? Like you lost your safety. She lost her safety blanket. You felt that your dad was your safety blanket. For sure. And uh, yeah, so let's turn to Genesis 3.1. It says, now the serpent was, was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord had made. And he said unto the woman, yea, hath God said, ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? So the interesting thing about the word subtle here is, and we won't get into it because I don't have time, but the root word for subtle is the same root word for naked. And this is the kind of naked or bareness you feel when someone points out your faults. And so that's the kind of subtle when we feel like someone's pointing out our weaknesses and, and being crafty and trying to trick us, you know. Uh, it can also mean that, you know, someone's using your weakness or your confusion to expose something inside of you. And it's so interesting that that word comes back to it. So moving on to Genesis 3, 2 through 7. And the woman said unto the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither ye shall touch it, lest ye die. 
And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. For God doth know that in the day you eat thereof, your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be gods, knowing good and evil. Uh, and when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and the tree to be uh, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit therefore and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. And the eyes of them both were open, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. So now shame enters into the story of man. Uh, shame entered into my story and shame entered into Casey's story. Uh, both by things that were uh, out of our control, really. Uh, both of us uh, walked into circumstances that we did not create for ourselves. Uh, and a lot of you here are hurting today. Uh, you've either hurt someone or been hurt, but it's always pain, you know. Uh, and most of the time, it's a circumstance that you've walked into, firstly and primarily, out of your control. And it's that shame that causes us to continue to offend ourselves and others. I call it the circle of condemnation, you know. It's that shame that drives us to think that we'll never be free of whatever's been done to us and, and causes us to do that same thing to others. So as I moved forward from that day, I knew something was wrong. Like, this wasn't right. This felt bad. It wasn't good. But I was ashamed. And so as I grew older, it seems like uh, evil, I like to call it evil because then you don't think of a little red guy running around. Uh, you just think of evil, badness, I guess is uh, the way to say it. But evil tends to want to trap us when we're young, so we don't find out who we are, so we don't find out our purpose, so we don't find out our destiny, uh, so we don't find out who we are as God's children. Isn't it great to be a child of God, by the way? Isn't it yeah. great to be a son of a king? Isn't it great to call Jesus your brother and your friend? That's amazing, man. But I didn't know that then. I didn't know that Jesus was my brother. And I didn't know that I was son of a king, even though I sat right where you guys are every day. And I heard the pastor say, hey, nothing can separate you from the love of God. You know, come forward and just receive the love of God. Repent. And I even came forward, but I never trusted God. And I heard it and I sat there. And one reason we share our story is because I sat there and I said, but not me. But not me. He can't forgive me. But he can't. He's so much bigger. I was talking to a friend of mine the other day who had an issue similar to this, but not as deep as mine. And he said, you know, I, it feels like you never want to start the journey because what's the point? The journey's too long. And you're not going to change anyway. So why even start the journey? You know? But the journey is a person. And it's a relationship. And his name is Jesus. And your problem has no power against him. Zero. And if you confidently give it to him today, I promise you, I promise you, he will deliver you into his grace and his mercy. So I sunk deeper and deeper into this place where I became completely, I like to call it a functioning, unfortunately, get ready, sexaholic. Okay? It was ugly. It was nasty. I was addicted to pornography. I was addicted to going outside of my marriage, and I was addicted to becoming everything that I hated. And I became uh, a, almost like a dual personality. And I would like you to go into that, how it felt to live with someone like that and how I acted. Um, 
it's funny because um, I always thought because of Matt's job that you know, he was angry about his day or angry about, like, what he had to do in his day. And I didn't even know what he did in his day most times. Um, And there was lots of times where he would be gone and come back, and I would just have to, like, make the best of whatever I was given, moving, doing whatever, being on call, not being on call. Um, And he was just very angry, and I could never really figure out why. Um... I remember like a specific instance, I, we had two children at the time, and I said to him, let's have one more. And he looked at me and he said, you can't even handle the two you have. And um, I was like, wow, you know. But that was just the way that, you know, he spoke to me back then. It wasn't even, I was just the way that, I, that it was. I, I just accepted that to be our marriage, and I didn't want to... Um, I didn't want to like make any waves because it just made it harder. Like it was, it was very hard at that time. Yeah. And how did you deal with how did you deal with your pain and the issues that you had in the past? So um, for me, like I would just I would just go to drinking. Um, I would avoid him like at all costs. Like if he was in one room, I would be in the other. Um, I would. I would like sneak drinks and go hang out other places, hang out with other friends. Um, it was very, it was very sad place to be. It was a very lonely place to be. Um, if I ever mentioned anything like not staying together, Matt would say, "I'll take the kids from you." It was, a, it was a very angry place to be. Like, so there was no rest in our home. There was no peace in our home. There was only pain for the most part and it was it was a very hard place to be yeah so that uh that brings us to the night i believe it was january uh 9th 2015 i believe it was the 9th it was the 9th or the 8th it was a friday night and this is all while we're serving in the local church uh we weren't like deacons but you know we taught uh sunday school um you know, we were, I was supposedly the best Christian dad that ever walked the face of the earth, you know, or I thought I was. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I mean, and this is what was going on in our household. So January 9th, 2015, I come home, and it was our tradition uh, as a family to watch movies on Friday nights with our kids. Uh, and at this time, I pretty much had developed this internal conversation that was so cynical and so negative towards the things of God. Uh, I had thought I was going to go into the ministry when I was younger, uh, and I remember standing in the parking lot of First Assembly of God, Overland Park, Kansas, and I remember debating whether I should go to Central Bible College or Evangel or uh, Southeastern University. Some of your guys' kids have probably gone there. And I heard this voice in my head that told me, do you really want to do that? Like, these people are going to find out who you really are. And I was like, yeah, better that I not do that than they find out who I really am. And he said, yeah, you know, you can continue to serve God. You can do that. It's better to not get involved and hurt people. That wasn't God's voice, I found out later. Um, But anyway, this uh, January 9th, 2015 rolled around, and my youngest son wanted to watch the movie God's Not Dead. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. And I said inside, that <laughs> same voice, whatever. You know, Casey was already drinking on the couch, honestly half passed out. 
I figured I would let my kids watch the movie and I would sleep and uh, they could enjoy themselves and we could all pretend to be happy. And uh, my kids suffered so much. It's, it's hard for me to... I don't have any shame about this. I really don't, which is one of the hardest things to understand. But it's hard for me to think back at how I treated my kids. It's not shame. I just feel like I have God's bleeding heart for them, God's compassion for them, that they shouldn't have had to suffer that way. But I, I was a very, very angry person. I never cried. Never. Now I can't stop the tears. But... Um, so I, I kind of laughed at them, and I said, sure, turn it on, and I fell asleep on the couch. Well, I was in and out the whole time, and I'm checking, checking the time here real quick. Uh, and at the end, if you haven't watched the movie, it's about a professor who is an atheist and a campus pastor, and the, the atheist professor is exploring whether God's real, and he keeps having encounters with God and other people that are helping him to have encounters with God, and at the end, he gets hit by a car. And he's dying, and I can't even remember if he died or not, but miraculously, the campus pastor shows up right when he gets hit by the car, and uh, he, says, he says the sinner's prayer, and they all say, isn't it going to be great that there are angels you know, praising God in heaven and that he'll be in heaven tonight? Uh, and I woke up for that part, I opened one eye, and I thought, how stupid and cheesy is this movie? This is ridiculous. This thing doesn't work for me. God doesn't work for me. Church doesn't work for me. None of this has ever worked for me. And now I'm teaching my kids to believe this stuff. And my youngest son, who is now 10, was five, looked up at me and he said, Dad, isn't it going to be great when we all get to heaven? And I said, yeah, it's going to be great. And half that word got out and I started bawling like a baby. I can still remember it because I never cried, remember? I never cried. So Casey, I like to call her Kiki, opens one eye and says, what is wrong with this guy? Tell him what yeah. you were feeling at that moment. Well, I was just trying to avoid really like the whole thing. I picked the movie. I picked the movie, put it on, and he's like, oh, I can't believe this. This is going to be so cheesy. And when he started like having a breakdown, I literally was like, oh, what now? Like he's going to be mentally unstable? Like what is happening with him? I, I literally hightailed it to the bedroom. I was like, good night, kids. Put everyone in bed. And I'm like, I'm done now. Like, like he's for real crazy. Like I've, I've already dealt with anger. And now I'm going to deal with crazy, like crying. I've never seen him cry like ever, ever like that. And like it was literally like he was broken, like, like broken down for sure. Yeah, so we're going to talk about the last kind of bear right now. And we're going to read Genesis 3, 9, and 10. And it says, And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And this is the first time in the Bible that barrenness or nakedness is mentioned in conjunction with the word afraid. And I had lived my life in anxiety and fear since seven years old. I, I didn't even know. And I'm sure many of you can identify with it. I didn't know there was another way to live. Uh, I was constantly checking behind myself. Literally, uh, in my life, it was part of my job to check behind myself. But then emotionally and spiritually, I was checking. Who's watching me? Who's going to stab me in the back? What's going on? Uh, and when is my wife going to uh, find out? When is the other shoe going to drop? You know, how will I handle it? How can I keep it from handling I had to have control over everything, so I became very angry uh, as we were talking about. So I started crying, and my kids were saying, Daddy, Daddy, what's wrong? What's going on? 
and I said, don't worry about it, kids, it's a good cry. And they had no idea what that meant because they'd never seen that have a good cry. And I said, you know, get off to bed. And I put them on bed. Casey literally ran to the other room and hid from me. Uh, and I sat down on the couch. And at that moment, uh, I had a vision, but not in front of me. It was in my head. And I saw a dead Jesus. And it looked like he had been in the tomb for three days. He had a crown of thorns on his head. He was rotting. He was bleeding. And he smelled horrible. And I heard a voice in my head say, Matt, nobody wants your dead Jesus. And I said, what? And I thought this to myself, but I didn't have the guts to say it to him. You know, you can literally have conversations with God in your head, and then you think you're having a conversation with, your, with yourself, but really God's hearing it. You know, I thought I could separate my conversations back then, but you really can't. So I told myself, but I know you heard it. Do you know who I am? Do you know who I am? I'm the son of a missionary. I'm a pastor's son. I've seen thousands healed. I've seen thousands touched by the Holy Spirit. I've seen murderers come to Christ. I've seen whole towns turned upside down. For God, do you know who I am? And he said, Matt. He said, trust me. And I said, I already do. And he said, no, you don't. Give me your pain. And I said, I can't give you my pain. Because if I give you my pain, I'm going to have to give you my sin. And then I'm going to lose it all. I'm going to lose my wife. I'm going to lose my kids. I'm going to lose my relationship with my parents. Um, and I, I can't do that. He said, trust me, Matt. And I fought with him for a while. And I said, okay, uh, I'm going to give you my pain. And so he said, okay, give me your sin. <laughs> and I said, I knew it. I knew you were going to ask for that. That's just like you, man. You want to expose me. You want to put me through shame. You want to make me feel guilty. I said, make me some promises. And he said, Matt, and I didn't understand this at the time. He said, Matt, I'm not going to make you any promises. He said, all my promises are in my word. What I didn't understand is that was a twofold, even threefold promise. He's saying, Matt, I've already given you all my promises in my written word. I've already placed all my promises in, my, in your heart when you gave your life to me at three and a half years old. And all my promises are in my living word. His name is Jesus Christ. And if you come to him, you can have them all. They're all already yours. You just don't know who you are, man. You tell me, do you know who I am? And that person you described, I don't know. But I know you. I know you. And so I argued with him for quite a while. <laughs> and uh, he asked me for everything. Because he always does. Because he wants to tell you who you are. He asked me for my pain. He asked me for my sin. He asked me for my finances. He asked me for my job. And he asked me for my children and my wife and my future and my past. And he's still asking today. <laughs> and what really, really made me want to run to him is when he told me, you know that dead Jesus, Matt? That's what you're giving your kids. And I, I skipped over this on accident. And, I, and when he said, you have a dead Jesus, I said to him, how do I get an alive Jesus? And that's when he said, trust me. That's when he said, trust me. So, so that's kind of the beginning of the victory right there. And I love that song we sang because you're going to see a victory today. Because if we boast, we boast in Christ and we boast in what he has done. 
Uh, and it's interesting how God chased me down because it didn't fit into any concept I had of giving one's life to God because he chased me down. I wasn't looking for him. I wasn't looking for him. So then describe what happened next, Casey. Um, so I went to bed, got up the next day, and there's praise music going on in my house. And now I'm like, okay, what? Like, I don't even know who this is. But I was like, I'm going to go with it because it's way better than before. So... Um, little things were happening. Um, I was sitting by the couch one day and I knocked my water over and, um, I was getting ready for the lecture. I was getting ready for the, I can't believe you. Why did you, you know, and Matt went over and got paper towels and literally came over and started cleaning it up and said nothing. And it may sound simple, but just that act of not saying anything and, cleaning it up, I just started crying right there. I was like, who is this man? Like, who is this? This is not my husband. Like, I don't know who it is, but I literally was like so happy that he was kind that I was like, okay. And um, unfortunately, just a couple of days later, I, one of my students had passed away from a brain aneurysm in my class. And um, it was a very hard time. And Matt was just solid. Like, he's like, let's go to the funeral and let's you know, he was there for me in a way that, like, was Jesus, you know? Um, and, I mean, all of the time passed. Do you want me to keep going to August? Um, all of the time passed, and um, I'm a teacher, so August is, like, my big month, you know, going back to school. I finished Thursday, and I was getting ready for my meet and greet to meet all my parents. And... Um, I'm a very social person. It's like my favorite day. I like to see like who's going to be in my class and meet everyone. And um, I said to Matt, I said, our, son, our oldest son, his birthday's in September. I said, I'm thinking we're going to get him a cell phone for his birthday. And he said, I don't know. And I'm like, what do you mean you don't know? I'm like, this is going to help me out. I'm going to be able to call him, know where he is, if he's at practice. And... Um, Matt's like, I'm not sure it's a good idea. And I'm like, well, why wouldn't it be a good idea? He's like, well, he's going to be exposed to things. And I was like, I'm literally so naive. I'm like, what things? And he's like, what about pornography? And I'm like, pornography? I'm like, you don't struggle with that, do you? And he looks at me, and he's, I'm, I literally can remember everything about it. Like, I was laying on the bed, and I'm looking at him. And he paused for a minute, and he said, yeah, I did. And I was like, I literally felt like I literally felt like that little girl back in the closet from when my parents were divorced. Like like you think of the worst way to hurt me that that's the road to go down. So he said, "But you never acted upon it, right?" And he said, "Yes, I have." And I literally like I every bad word you've ever heard, I wanted to give it to him right then. I wanted to like torch the house. Like I was not a nice, like happy time. I was I was done. I was like, you don't understand. This is the one thing I'm not forgiving. I'm not forgiving this. I'm out. Like literally, I'm out. And I'm I'm running late. I'm like, I can't believe you did this to me on all these days. Like I have to be somewhere right now. I continue getting ready. I continue cursing him out. I continue to <laughs> to think okay, I, I, had, I had an attorney ready to go in December. I, I mean, it, and he's like a shark. Like, I was ready to go. With I'm done with this. This was like the last straw. And um, my life had been good since January to August, but you never know, like, 
you know, what happened or how that goes. And um, I was so angry. And I'm like, I have to go meet my parents. I, I have to go. They're waiting on me. They're going to be there in 10 minutes. I'm very late to work. Like, I'm supposed to be there at 7.30, and it's now 9.30. And I say to, say to my kids, goodbye, mommy loves you. And they don't know what happened. They don't know, understand what happened. And, and literally, our, our home was such an angry place, it doesn't even phase them. So I went through, and I kissed my oldest, and I said, mommy loves you. I'll see you, I'll see you soon. And um, I was getting ready to leave, and I, I look over, and Matt's standing in the doorway of our bedroom, and he says, what about me? like a kiss goodbye. And I was like, what about you? Like, you don't even live here anymore. What about you? Like, no way. And God showed me seven-year-old Matt standing under the doorway. And he showed me who he made and his pain. And I, I don't even, to say that it's me is, is not me. It's God in me, you know? I walked over and kissed him on the forehead, and I left for work. And I mean, only God could do that. There's, there's no explanation for that. Um, I went to my open house. I, I don't even know what I said. The parents loved me. I left, like, early. I should have been fired that day. I was at work 20 minutes. They were like, you're done with your open house? I'm like, yep, I'm done. <laughs> I packed up my stuff and came home, and I said, Matt, you're going to be in charge of the kids, and, and you're done. Like, we're done. You, you be in charge of them. Don't come home. Like, you know, it's still summertime for them. I'm not, I'm not taking you back. We're done. And he's like, okay. Every time, okay. So <laughs> he ends up coming back to bring the kids back home that night. And he says, um, you know, I've been getting counseled, right? And I'm like, I don't even know who you are getting counseled. I don't even want to talk to you. And um, he's like, okay. So I, God, at the time, whatever I said, he did. Because, you know, he was restoring us. I didn't know at the time. Um, and that's when your amazing pastors came into our lives. Um, I had no idea. Um, Saturday morning, he texts Pastor Dozer calls, and he's like, will you hold his hand? And I was like, no, I will not hold his hand. And, and out of respect for him, because I know that this man has been loving on my husband because there's no reason for him to be the man who he was. And I said, okay, fine. I literally gave him like a pinky. And I was like, he's on the phone. He's not going to know. So I'm, he's holding my hand. And I said, he said, will you, will you let me pray for you? And I'm like, oh, no, not prayer over me. I'm like, okay, yes. And he prays over our marriage. And I cried the entire time, and he says to me, Casey, I'm going to ask you to draw a line in the sand. And I was like, oh, okay. And he said, do you love the man that you've known since January? And I was like, yes, I do love that man. And he said, do you, do you love Jesus in him? And I said, yes, I do. I love the Jesus I see in him. And he said, you have to trust that in him. You don't have to trust Matt, but you have to trust that in him. And I was like, okay. And miraculously, like over that weekend, there's no other way to explain it other than God coming in, Holy Spirit, like literally changing me from the inside out and restoring our marriage. And um, 
Dottie, I would call her, like, I would be at baseball, and I would literally be like, I, I can't breathe, and she would pray with me. I'd be like, I can't, I can't go be a mom, and she would pray with me. I was like, I can't even get out of my car, and she would pray for me. And to say that your pastors, like, they're the reason we're here. They're the reason we're here. When they asked us to come, like, we literally, I would go anywhere for them. Like, <laughs> they don't understand that, like, they're Jesus to us. Like, they literally stood in the gap for us. And to see them in person and hug them and just know that they were, they were loving on my husband, counseling him, and then loving on me. And they were so safe. There was no fear. There was no um, worry of any judgment, any kind. And they were just Jesus to us. So, I mean... Our story is a story of restoration, of crazy, crazy um, circumstances that happen through trusting God. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, I didn't get really deep into the nitty gritty just because, honestly, we don't have time. But what was going on behind the scenes there was, you know, God used movies and people. And when you open your eyes, God will use anything to speak to you. Uh, and I had come to Pastor Dozer because I was trying to figure out what happened to me. Because when God met me there, I was instantly freed. Instantly. And I know this isn't everyone's story, but I was instantly freed of my addiction to pornography and sex and what have you. All my anger was gone. I could not figure out who I was. And God was saying, you want to see who you are? I'll show you who you are. So I started looking for people that uh, sought after Christ and shared Christ without... Uh, condition and unafraid without fear because that's what I felt inside of me I didn't have any fear anymore I couldn't figure it out and through that I heard Pete's testimony and I heard how Pastor Dozer had intervened in their marriage and I said if that dude can handle Pete he can handle me <laughs> and what I don't know if Pastor Dozer knew it or not I had reached out to many many what we would call men of God and every single last one of them had either turned me down or not responded and the way that I got to your pastor was through your website. I just emailed a prayer request, and he responded. And it's funny because we were talking last night, uh, and he said, do you still have those emails? And I'm like, yep. And I found them, and I found the first one, and that was the one that was dated February 16th. But, the, you know, the story doesn't really end there. Um, it's, it's an ongoing story. But the key here is that Jesus is our life. You know, John 14, 6 says, Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. There is so much in that one verse. You guys, there is no way. There is no truth. And there is no life outside of Jesus. You know, I've been, and you've been, calling life death and death life. We've been pointing at our circumstances saying, this is life, my job is life, my school is life, my situation is life, my circumstance is life, my children is life, what I know is life. It is not life. You will not find your life until you find Jesus. You will not see the way until you hold his hand. And you will not know the truth until you listen to what he has to say about you and everything around you. There's so much there. 
if you'll just dig, if you'll just give him one more chance, if you'll just trust him one more time. Just one more time. Revelation 3.12, Revelation, sorry, 3.12 through 13 says, Him that overcometh will I make a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go no more out, and I will write upon him the name of my God, and the name of the city of my God, which is New Jerusalem, which cometh down out of heaven from my God, and I will write upon him my new name. That's what happened to me. That's what could happen to you. God can give you a new name. You don't know who you are until you let him write that on your forehead, until you let him write that on your heart. Uh, from God. Uh, and I will write upon them a new name. He that hath an ear. Do you have an ear? Let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. He's talking to his people. Yeah. He's talking to the people that claim to know him. He wants to write his name on you and that's why Casey and I share today and that's the last kind of bear he returns us to the bear and unashamed the bear and unashamed and your marriages and I'm going to wrap it up because we're getting really close here but your marriages are symbolic of your relationship with Christ your unity your ability to be bare with each other to have an amazing deep intimate friendship to respect each other to act and move and have your being as one right like we have with Christ to be bare before each other to be bare before God so whatever pain you have today whatever secret you're hiding whatever issue you think you have don't blaspheme the death of Jesus Christ and His resurrection for you by claiming it's too big for Him to have victory over, for Him to restore. Because let me tell you what, it's absolutely nothing to Him to restore you to who He always meant for you to be, yeah. to give you purpose, to give you power, and to give you a destiny to walk out the good works He's prepared for you in advance. Paul tells us. You have a mission to be Him to the world around you. You have an obligation and a responsibility to your children and your fathers and your children's children to show them who Jesus is. His kingdom come. His will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's what he prayed. That's what he prayed. So Casey and I stand here before you willing to be bare. Willing to honor the men and the families in our life. That honored us by being Jesus to us. And I know that not all of your stories will be my stories. This is a moment in time, but this is a journey as well. Because your victory and your redemption is a person. And his name is Jesus. And you've got to walk with him. And you've got to hold your hand, his hand. And you've got to get to know him. That you might walk in the victory that he's already won for you. He's already won for you. So I love you guys. I thank you for giving us this opportunity. If you want to talk more about it, I can go way deeper. And listen, I love nothing more than to set people free. Because he who the sun sets free is free indeed. So God bless you guys. I love you. We'll be happy to talk to you. Um, and thank you. Thank you for giving us this opportunity. Thank you.
So let's pray. And uh, I'm going to give you guys an opportunity to trust God. You know, all Jesus said over and over again, I was going to look it up, but I forgot to last night. He said, believe in me. Believe in me. That's not a cerebral belief. Jesus isn't asking us to believe he is the Son of God. He's asking us to trust that he's the Son of God. He's asking us to trust him, that he is light. So I'm going to give you an opportunity for you to respond, and I'm going to pray. And if you want to come forward, don't just respond again like you've always responded. You know, I walked up, and Casey was gone. I don't know where she was. And we used to go to Calvary uh, Chapel, Fort Lauderdale, which is a church of like, I don't know, somewhere between fifteen and 30,000 people. It's enormous. And Casey was gone, and I took the opportunity to walk forward. And I thought I was a really big guy because I was walking forward in front of like 15,000 people to give my life to God again. Let me tell you what, you cannot give your life to God. He gives his life to you. He gives his life to you. Because you come to him with nothing but a broken shell of who you are. And he'll show you the amazing piece of pottery that he's made you. So we're going to pray to him. And if you want to respond, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter who sees you. It doesn't matter who looks at you, man. This is a moment between you and God. To me, I don't care if you've come up before. I don't care if you've cried before. I don't care if you think you can't lose your heroin. You can't lose your alcohol. You can't lose your addiction to whatever it is. I don't care if you're ashamed, because you can be unashamed when you walk out of here. Because Jesus is going to walk out with you. Alright, so let's bow our heads and let's pray real quick and let's thank God. Father, you are amazing. You are victorious. You are spectacular. You are beyond any words we could ever say. Your restoration in my life is beyond any words I could ever say to you. I can never repay you for what you've done. But the amazing thing is you don't ask me to. Because none of what we've said here today is about me. Life is not about me. Life is not about us. It's about you. And the amazing thing is that you are all about us. Bring us today humbly before you. Understanding that we can receive newness of life, that we can receive life itself just by trusting that you are who you say you are, by believing in your word, not just the written word, but the active living word that you are inside of us through the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, I know you're here. I know you set this whole thing up. I know that you are wisest or wiser than the wisest man here today. And I know that you are moving and touching hearts right now. So Holy Spirit, I pray that you would do your thing. That you would break hearts wide open. That you might sew them together again.